Arcade episode 35, Chris. Uh, yes. This has not been without its own particular set of dramas. You no. unfortunately have been off for a couple of weeks um, with with the spicy cough. And, um, yep. we, and we did record an episode and we came it back and did it again. Didn't go very well. <laughs> Something was wrong with the lag and the... We had to edit it four times. I had my child walk in the room when I've asked him not to a couple of times. So I thought, let's just do it again. Let's just do it let's again. Let's just do it again. I think my work rang up a couple of times as yeah, well. That's so right. let's just let's just do it again. Let's just do it again. It's a lot easier. So yeah. But um, I did have COVID, so yeah, thanks for everyone who uh Messaged me about that when they found out, but oh, you're yes. still a bit croaky there. I sound it, but it sounds like it's still got a bit of a croak in your throat. A little bit of a bit of a cough, but the COVID itself is gone, and I'm I'm fine pretty much. All good, oh, all good. That's oh, that's good. That's good to hear. Well, episode thirty-five, the Music Bar Podcast. Like, subscribe, hit the alert button too, so you know we're going to be here because yep. we normally are out a bit earlier. But once again, we had some issues, so hopefully we'll get this out real soon for you. Um, look, the first thing I want to touch on, Chris, is just, um, look, it's been a while, it's a little while ago, but um, I want to say uh, Valet RIP to Andy Fletcher from uh, Depeche Mode. Mm. I did a get on it whoa, back last year, I think, when we first started doing them, and one of the first ones I did was Violator by Depeche Mode. Yeah. It's one of the best albums of the, um, I wouldn't say synth pop, synth rock, I would mm-hmm. call Depeche Mode. Um, and Andy Fletcher was the, he was the brains behind the band, more, more or less. I mean, the creative side of things, you know, he, he was there with, um, but you normally sort of talk about people like Dave Garn, the singer, you know, yeah. the flashy singer or Martin Gore, the guitarist. And um, but Andy Fletcher was the quiet guy playing the keyboards, but he was also the driving force behind the band. He was the one who, in his own words, kept the great corporation of Depeche Mode going. You, you really think about it. They, they've been around for 40 years. Oh, it's crazy. You know? it? Yeah, you know, well, I mean, that's U2 sort of numbers, but we don't sort of think of Depeche Mode in that kind of thing. And they've had, I mean, apart from members leave, they never replaced anybody. No. And the, the three guys that were part of it were from the get-go. And that takes a lot to keep something like that going, especially when your lead singer sure. was going through a heroin addiction at a time. So the quiet guy behind the band that kept it going, you know, and I think there's a lot to be said for those people in, in, in rock bands, you know, the, the unheralded, the unheralded one, the one who, and he's happy to do it. He, he didn't want to be the, the big star. And even when they had big management and he kept, um, he kept his hands in everything. He knew what was going on financially. He knew what was happening with every business decision with Depeche Mode. And you, you will miss someone like that. You know, I mean, he, you will really miss someone like that. And so, you know, and even with all the, and I heard he was, he was a Christian too, and not born again. You know, he was from his early days. Oh, really? He there kept, you go. Yeah, he, I think he kept that going all the way through his um, t- tenure with the band. And as I said <laughs> before, with all the craziness, Andy was the rock solid guy. And look, I mean, I think with REM, it was their drummer, Bill Berry. He was that guy that, you know, kept the band together and was the driving force of the band. Cause I, I just always felt I'm, I'm a big REM fan, but yeah. when Bill Berry left the band, they were never the same. They were never the same. Mm. The quality output wasn't great. Um, they, they were no longer this great legendary band. They were just a, an okay alternative rock band. Yeah. That was a shame, but it was, you know, and I think, you know, Andy Fletcher, you know, whether the remaining two continue on is, is another thing. 
Um, but yeah, R.I.P. Andy Fletcher, the Pesh Mode. Yeah, fair enough. And um, absolutely for sure. And while you're talking about R.I.P., let's just quickly touch on the fact that Foo Fighters have now come out mm. and mentioned the Taylor Hawkins um, tribute shows. So they're doing two, one on September 3rd in London at mm. Wembley Stadium, which is where I saw them, and September 27th at Los Angeles. So I think it's really good that they're doing that Mm. so soon. I think you mentioned a while back that um, Lincoln Park did it really quickly, but I am still kind of like hoping that Van Halen do something down the track. But, yeah, I think it's really good they jumped into it. Yeah, look, this Van Halen thing, you know, we've gone on about it and they want to do a tour. I I think a show would have been fine, but then, you know, you got David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar and Mm. possibly even Gary Sharon who, who want to be involved. Um, I don't know, man, if that's going to happen. Lincoln Park did it really well. They yep. did it not long after, different singers, that sort of thing. I, I think... Um, and that was only a one-off, wasn't it? It was a one-off? Yeah, yeah. And there's, you know, um, and that's what you need, whereas I think Van Halen are talking tours and... I don't who knows? Know, you know, who knows what's going on with that? But yeah, I think and it's look, really good they go into Taylor Hawkins quickly. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's that's really good. I think it gives the fans something. that 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 something. I think you're yeah, right, yeah. Chris. Yeah, it does. I think that's why Lincoln Park did it with Chester the, so quickly too. It was it was to give the fans that moment to kind of grieve and and all that sort of stuff, yeah. and you know, and, remember, to, and to share mourn, and, and remember and mourn because we all might sit there and go, "Oh, they're just rock stars," but if if they were just rock stars or anything. We, we wouldn't be doing a podcast. That's right. And no one else would be doing music podcasts. And there wouldn't be rock and roll. You know, there wouldn't be radio or books written about it or anything like that. That's right. They're larger than life. They're, they're, they're an extension of ourselves in a way, you know, a wish mm-hmm. fulfillment, if, if you if you must, you know, with all these sorts of guys. And another yeah. RIP, um, Alec John Such, the original bass player from Bon Jovi, yeah. uh, died as well at age 70. He mm. was a bit of 70. You know, these, Andy Fletcher was only 60. You know, mm. so too young, too young. Way, yeah. you know, 50. I like he left the band a long time ago, didn't he? Yeah, he left uh, in just after the Keep the Faith album in 91. So he mm. left in that period between. Um, I, I got the feeling he was kind of kicked out. Booted, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, John Bowen JV said in that docker when we were beautiful, he said, I think is when he sort of took more control of the band when he said, I'm not going to be told by the bass player's wife when we can and cannot tour. Yeah. And I thought, Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> but he was about 10 years older than the other guys. And he, yeah, he, he, he like he, he said later in life, you know, he said it was, it was getting too much and really, and honestly, you know, Bon Jovi would, were a hard touring mm. band. Yep. Constant and still are to a point. We'll get into them in a sec. Um, got something I want to talk about, and I think you and I want to talk about with about Bon Jovi. But look, apart from all this, some great news that made me really happy. Yeah. Spinal Tap Two. How good now, is that? Normally, uh, I know. I mean, Spinal Tap is not just like the this this iconic comedy. It's just a great music film. We did talk about music movies, and Spinal mm. Tap. This is Spinal Tap was one of them. But when I heard they were doing the sequel. And I think they've already started filming. Yeah. And there's sort of, um, how would I put it? I'm not always keen on the, oh, going back to the well to do the sequel unless you, you've got something to say. 
because yeah. gosh, it's nearly 40 years on. But hey, look, Top Gun's doing it. It's nearly 40 years on. And yeah, 36 years later. It's, it's killing it, you know? So, um, have you seen Top Gun yet? Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it enough. I'm not raving about it like some people are. I don't think it's the yeah. greatest thing since it, it, it it's. It's not without its faults, put it that way. <laughs> so, I think it'll be just, I haven't seen it yet, but I will go see it at the cinema, I believe. And I think um, it's just going to be a great action movie to yeah, watch. Look, it's, it's worth, it's worth yeah. seeing and it's well done. It's well made and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, you know, but you know, I'm not raving and saying it's the best movie around or best cinematic triumph. I've seen some of the uh, adverts saying, I'm thinking, all right, okay, clearly wanted to get your <laughs> review on the ads, didn't you? <laughs> um, speaking of um, Spinal Tap, have you seen mm. or have you seen the trailers for David Bowie and Elvis yet? Um, yeah, look, I saw the trailer for the Bowie um, documentary, Moon Age Daydream. Um, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. That looks really quite good. Um, the thing is with Bowie, because um, David Bowie never wanted a biopic made of him mm-hmm. in any way whatsoever. There was a movie that came out a little while ago called Stardust which is yeah. about Bowie's tour of America where he kind of went, oh, this is when he sort of transitioned from being this singer-songwriter with a bit of an eclectic sort of edge to Ziggy Stardust. And he, none of, well, his family have retained that idea. They're, they're not letting his music being used in a biopic. So there was no Bowie music. This is a movie about David Bowie. With no music from him. No Bowie music. Yeah. So, That's you crazy. Know, it is crazy, but it's like people still want to make these things, you know? And um, he, I, I think with the documentary, it will use Bowie's music because it will use the context in which it is deserves. I think people feel that with, and I understand with Bowie, with the, um, with his music being used, I, I just get a feeling that it would be, um, they've never liked it because they probably just didn't like the straight up storytelling of a biopic they probably didn't feel that his life and music didn't warrant that. There was so much going on with, with Bowie and maybe too, it demystifies in a way what, what, what is definitely going on, but um, Elvis, well, that looks like a big flashy Baz Luhrmann movie. Um, What will they say about Elvis that we have not heard or know about before? Um, The Elvis and Priscilla scenes will be a bit problematic for me and for most other people, I suppose. I'm sure the film is fine. I mean, Baz yep. Luhrmann is a good filmmaker. I just, I'm just not a fan of his his work particularly. I find his whole flashy, it's all flash and no substance with Luhrmann. But the shot here on the Gold Coast, I, you and I probably know half the cast. I think I'm one probably. of the only people, I'm one of the only people on the Gold Coast with an agent who didn't get a role in the movie. So <laughs> if I had a role in it, honestly, you know, everyone else on you seemed to get a role on Elvis, except me. Uh, um, if I was in it, I'd probably rush out to see it and go, there I am. There I am. Yeah. But, uh, I did hear no. they played it, had a 12, um, I thought it was funny, when we recorded the other day, um, which we're not using, obviously. <laughs> I said to you that it had a 12-minute standing ovation at Khan. Film festival, yeah, and, I, and you said, "Well, they've been sitting on their ass watching movies all day. They probably yeah. had to stand up." <laughs> so probably wasn't. Oh, that's the greatest movie. It's just like yeah, let's just stand just up like, and oh, pretend. Thank oh, goodness, my butt sore. <laughs> Stretch oh, your legs. Oh, you know what it's like. You've seen a movie. You get up. You oh, yeah. oh, that's oh, she's get the get the blood back to my hands. <laughs> 
that's funny. Um, oh, yeah. I tell you, I saw the trailer for both of them too, but I did think that the guy who played Elvis was a pretty good fit for a young Elvis. Um, well, honestly, just just now, I just saw some footage on um, Facebook that Baz Luhrmann posted of Austin Butler. Yeah. Um, and apparently he sang all the early Elvis stuff. Oh, wow. The later Elvis stuff, they're using tracks. And they showed um, a, a test, lens test of Austin Butler with the band doing That's All Right, Mama. And yeah, really good. He yeah, is really doing good. Gear. Yeah, That's he's good. really doing good, good, good. Yeah, it's good. Very staying good. On, um, staying on uh, movies, um, mm-hmm. John Carpenter. You messaged me the other day about John Carpenter and, and tagged me in it. Um, explain who John Carpenter is and then mm-hmm. what the article was about for us, please. Oh, right. oh yeah, yeah, this one. Um, so John Carpenter, is I, um, great filmmaker, uh, made the original Halloween, which is the film from 78, which is a film that really started the horror slash genre that never mm. kind of existed before. Uh, he also did the music for his movies. Too. He made The Thing, which is one of my all-time favourite movies. He did Escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China, uh, The Fog, They Live, a heap of other really cool films. As he went on, his movies got less and less cool. Oh, well, that's a shame. And he got less and less interested in making movies, but he still makes music uh, for films. He, he rejigged his um, his keyboard intro for um the the new Halloween movies. Uh, the theme for Stranger Things is definitely influenced by John Carpenter's Halloween theme. I think Trent Reznor even did a version of Halloween. Him and Anna oh, right. did a version of the Halloween theme. It's pretty cool too. Check it out. Yep. Uh, now, he has said that he thinks Load and Reload from Metallica mm. are two amazing records. Now, yep. this I, I thought was interesting apart from the fact that it's John Carpenter, but also the fact that um, not many people would go, do go back and say, I mean, everyone's got fans of their own stuff, but not many people do go back and say, oh, Load and Reload are amazing records. No. They generally go back, oh, you've got to have the, oh, it's got to be Master of Puppets. That's the best one. You know, I, yeah. I personally like uh, Hardwired. I, I'll shout it till the end of the world that I thought Hardwired was fantastic. Yeah. And you know, I, I, can, I can listen to that from start to finish load and reload um look they're both fine um some great songs on load especially i mean you and i are particular fans i hero of the day is probably one of my favorite metallica songs yeah um until it sleeps i like what's that one the outlaw torn outlaw torn's a terrific song i was singing that around the house for the last few days you know Bleeding Me is a terrific song you know um i think load suffers from the idea of it's too damn long it like you know, they made a point of being what? How long was it? What eighty minutes? The length an of the hour and nineteen minutes. So eighty oh, minutes. It's eighty minutes. Seven. Why? Why do you hmm. need? You know, the, some of the best albums. Van Halen one, thirty-five minutes, start to finish. You know, yeah, the Ramones, um, the Ramones, thirty-five minutes. Hey, it's mesmerized. mesmerized. Yes, you, went, you didn't get, get on, on it. it the other day. The other Thirty-six day. minutes. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't need to be an hour and 20 minutes, man. Yeah, no. It really doesn't. I like you know? it. I like the album. I'm happy it's long because I love the music and I, I love it, but I can understand what you're saying. And I, I still think, I'm not 100% sure, but I still think that Load and Reload would have been written very close to the same time and they used the songs they didn't use on the first one, made the Reload. It could have come out as a mm. double album. They had a few years in between. Um, 
but I love it. No, I have no problems with it going for an hour. Aaron, Aaron it's not, actually, there's, there's only there's only one year between load and reload. Load came out in '96. Reload came out in '97. Well, that proves my so point even more. It could have been could have been easily the you know the usual illusions of Metallica, but I don't know why they didn't do it. But I love it. I think they're mm. both pretty good albums. I'm happy they're long, but um, yeah, it's funny how when you talk about Metallica, like you said before, people just mm. don't talk about those albums. Yeah, exactly. Not on the it's, tip of their tongue, and for no, John, and the, for John Carpenter to say they're the, the best, for his point of view mm. from a musician, uh, from a movie maker and a composer, it's pretty amazing. You know, it just shows that everyone has different tastes in the field of whatever you know, whatever they do. Like he likes movies, mm. he can probably understand mm. when he listens to these songs that they're pretty mm. orientated towards um, movie kind of soundtracks. Well, just like Michael Kamen did. He loves certain songs and he brought the symphony mm. in and he did what he did. Um, there's always uh, been this compositional thing to Metallica. You know, we've oh, talked absolutely. about it before. You absolutely. know, um, Cliff Burton brought that to the band. You, you could hear it in um, Kirk's solo EP that came out uh, not long ago. You know, you, you, you can really hear. That's what I've always liked about Metallica, that they do sound like that if there was a big screen with the music, that, that would yeah. be their thing. They're, they're not just making heavy metal. They're making these almost symphonic, which metal does. Metal does have this relationship, I think, with classical music in, yeah, in sure. a big way. But, you know, every time I hear Metallica, I just hear this big operatic thing, you know, this creation that it's a beginning middle and end. there's a beginning middle mm. and end to all of Metallica's music. They're not just stuffing around. There's a real point, even though they change riffs three or four times during certain songs, there's a point to it all. And, it, and, it, and it's moving along, you know, they, they, I bet you they would sit, well, Lars and Kirk, Lars and sorry, James, James would probably argue amongst themselves as to yeah. where this song is going. And you know that doesn't make sense. This doesn't, you know, that, that works. That doesn't work. This works. That does. I can imagine they wouldn't sit there and go, oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Let's yeah. just keep doing that. You know, <laughs> they obviously have this thing between the two of them where they go, no, 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 get rid of that. Do this. Yeah. No, 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 do that. You know, and they, they're in sync. Those two, love or hate Lars, you know, he's a, those two are in sync. They are in mm. complete sync with each other. And like, I can't think they could do it without each other. You yeah, know, it's just one I totally things, agree. You know. And I think when you add someone like a producer like Bob Brock, and he he was with him for quite a while, he would have mm. been that person who helped find that middle ground sometimes when they couldn't agree. And well, um, that's the producer's job. And you did see yeah. the footage where I, they fought with him openly because he he was the one to step into that particular yeah, yeah. relationship Absolutely. and go do it this way. And you could see both of them went, "How dare you tell <laughs> us to?" what to do yeah. but uh, we when they heard the results they were like oh ah. we understand now we understand what oh. we're paying Bob Rock for yes this is what we're paying him to do the best producers yeah. do that that's what they do yeah they, you know yeah. They, they they do that sort of stuff so yeah, well, yeah sure. I found that interesting I thought you'd like that one yeah I found that interesting mm. I did mm. Um, mm. you said before we talked about Bon Jovi briefly um we'll talk, touch on it again. And mm. um, we've seen a few things happening lately with singers. Like we all mm-hmm. obviously know that Motley Crue is touring with Def Leppard and we've discussed mm-hmm. the Motley Crue, Vince Neil singing ability quite a few times in our podcasts. 
Mm -hmm. um, but we've also mentioned how Def Leppard are touring with them. And, and mm -hmm. I saw the other day Michael Sweet from Striper. He's now admitted that they're uh, tuning down half a step to accommodate his voice. Um, and that guy, saw, that guy had a high-pitched voice. He had a high very voice. high voice. He had a very high mm, voice. So he's obviously realised he can't do that anymore. Um, mm. And Joe Elliott has now come out from Def Leppard. He's now come out and said they've um, tuned down as well. Um, now, I watched um, Def Leppard the other day on YouTube. They played the Whiskey A Go Go in mm, uh, yeah. LA the other day. Um, and then I watched what you said to – you saw it on Jimmy Kimmel. So I watched yep, the three I songs, saw, I think it was, on that. And I, yeah, I they, still... they did a longer They did a longer set on Jimmy Kimmel, um, but you could see that it was three. They, they picked the, the three, but they did do a few more songs. Oh, did they? So they just, they just yeah. showed three over the over on the show. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I felt when I was watching the Whiskey A Go-Go that uh, concert, that Joe's voice, he's, even though he's tuned down, he's still missing quite a bit. It doesn't sound best. So I know you didn't agree. Mm -hmm. And I, I think agree. it was the song Rocket. I thought Rocket yeah, was really bad. Me, oh, this, this is bad. And I listened to it. Oh, I quite like it. I think he's doing yeah. all right with that one. So it will be interesting if anyone's watching this and listening to this podcast to go and have a listen to either that one or um, the Whiskey Go-Go mm -hmm. or, or the um, Jimmy Kimmel. And let me know what you think of his voice because I think yeah. we'll start seeing videos coming through on YouTube soon because they're going to be playing um, with Motley Crue soon. They're taking turns headlining. So... We'll start seeing all the videos come through and see how they sound. I did think the Jimmy Kimmel one was slightly better than the Whiskey um, show. Mm. But in saying that, Bon Jovi now is also now in that ranks where I feel something's going on with his voice. I've seen some Ooh. footage of him lately. I saw him sing Wanted Dead or Alive, which has been a classic of their set list for you know, 30, 40 years. And honestly, he sang it so badly, I was like, cringing because I loved seeing them live. My band, when I was younger, used to play Wanted Dead or Alive, and I used to sing that song. Um, and I felt really bad that people are now paying money to go see Bon Jovi sing that way. Um, what did you think I of mean, it when you saw it? Oh, the Bon Jovi one um, horrified me a bit. I think the first one, because it, it made, it got viral, was um, we're fans of Justin Hawkins' Rides Again, his um, his fantastic youtube page which i which i put on a cool thing once i got chris oh, under yeah. it i yeah if you want after you watch watch us first and then watch just <laughs> Hawkins Rides again and justin you know he, he's done vince neil he, he looks at these guys um and justin always tries to find something positive with everybody he sees there's that classic one of the guy from puddle of mud absolutely ruining um about a girl the um Nirvana song oh, absolutely ruins it but Justin was really like oh, he's probably had a bad day he's probably the voice wasn't right the guys you know it's it's terrible but with Bon Jovi he just he went no something's not right here this is not mm. right he's always pushed it to the edge he was really like no someone in Bon Jovi's team should be saying to him hey John we need to work we you need to go to one of these top voice guys retrain your voice or, or something because yeah but is john not listening to anybody you know as i mentioned before that doco when we were beautiful you really watch it. it's a really good documentary if you can get your hands on it watch it it's really cool um he comes across as kind of almost like tony soprano it must be like a, a new jersey thing you know it's like i'm the boss 
<laughs> and what I say goes, because yeah. no one else is the boss, I'm the boss. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bruce Springsteen's from Jersey too, of course, you know, but it must be a New Jersey thing. That mm. it was real. You could see he was almost like this mafia don in a way, the way he controlled the band and everything yeah. like that. Because he felt he had to. Yeah. He had to take charge of the band in all facets, you know, as I said, the driving force, you know, he yeah. you know, had to because I always felt I always felt that it was a driving force with him and Richie Zambora together. And when Richie Zambora left, it really became, it was all on his shoulders and he kind of like took it over more as a business for himself and a session player high, like Phil X is now part of it as well. So um, I felt that happened more so when Richard Sambora left, but I think he was also kind of like, it's time for you to leave. Well, what John Bon Jovi, what John Bon Jovi did was he made all the other guys relinquish control relinquish their share in bon jovi to him and they all became paid members so even richie no longer, yeah even richie and so wow. they the yeah, dave brian and tico torres the drummer and that's what mm-hmm. he did and you could see it still burned them but they were there but i think for richie it didn't quite work but there was one like john said the whole, one of the reasons they made a particular record was to get Richie working again. This is when Richie started becoming an alcoholic and start his marriage right. to Heather Locklear went downhill and everything like that. And John said, I made this particular record just to keep Richie working, just to get him to do something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was obviously something, but yeah, as you said, once Richie left, I think, you know, but by the by, John's clearly, there's something going on with John's voice. You know, like yeah, I, yeah. I appreciate that the, the guys are now singing in a way because that form i mean even robert plant did it he changed his vocal style years ago and no one sort of said anything um but i suppose because the bands that we grew up with you know they changed and as we get older our voices go deeper we we don't get those high notes if you can if you're a high singer like you used to but Mm. joe elliott def leppard were famous for those bring it on the heartbreak you know that's right up there you know um you know, all, all, those, all those songs, let's get rocked, you know, makes me want to scream. And the, the, the note he hits on that one, you know, when let's get rocked. He's probably, he just can't hit those notes the way he used to. Um, obviously, Vince can still hit the notes. He's just not singing English. <laughs> He's just not actually singing the lyrics. He gets the audience to sing most of it. Yeah, he gets the audience to sing most of it. And when he does, the only time you actually understand him is when he's talking to the audience. He yells out, let me see your hands. And you can actually understand him when he says that. Yeah. Then when he sings, you can't figure out a damn word he's he's saying. I know, I know. So, you know, it, 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 it's like, well, the other night, just um, I was watching the party at the, the Platinum Party at the Palace and Rod Stewart came out. And it was a real like, I mean, dead set, Rod Stewart's in his 70s now. Mm. And even then I was like, that guy had one of the greatest blues rock voices and it was like oh rod but in saying that he looked like he was having the best time on stage and the audience was loving it yeah so is it different when you're on tv or when you're in the venue and if they just pulling it off and just having a good time do you care yeah true 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 like if if they toured here i think we've discussed this too if definitely and motley Crue toured here with with poison and joan jett it would be a massive big concert, obviously. Everyone mm, will go it'll to be, 
I'd sell more than two or three nights easily in any place I wanted to, but do you want to pay two, three hundred dollars to go listen to Vince Neil sing the way he's been mm. singing in the past? But I'd still probably go because I'd like to see the the stage show. I've never seen Def Leppard, I've never seen Poison and those songs. I'm a big, yeah, I'm a big I like Kiss them. fan. I'm a big Kiss fan. Oh, man. Yeah. Paul Stanley is just can't sing like he used to, man. Mate. Paul's voice is gone. You know, that's why they're obviously doing this end of the road tour. Paul just can't sing and Apparently there was word that at the Bel- the concert in Belgium the other night, uh, Paul mistimed the vocal cue and uh, people Oof. went, hey, is he miming? Oh, really? Is he miming now? So, wow. Mm, Did you uh, see the um, footage of Kirk Hammett the other day? They were playing and they um, he came out <laughs> and started playing Nothing Else Matters and he stuffed it up. So he just went and lay on the floor <laughs> on the stage. <laughs> And he got up and he, everyone just laughed and he apologised and said it was, you know, okay, whatever okay, it was. Okay, okay, okay. That's all open strength. How do you stuff that up? <laughs> well, was it not the, well, yeah, it was nothing I else know. matters. It was nothing else matters. It's like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you, very, he's, you think he's yourself, played it that many times. Yeah, he probably, but, but people, you know what? How many times have you sat and watched a Metallica video and James Hetfield starts singing the wrong words to a song? Yeah. And you see, Kirk shoots him that look as if to go, James, you started the second <laughs> verse of Metalli- of Master of Puppets. Yeah. Not the first. I watched one once with James, the first verse, and James started singing the second verse. And you see Kirk just like looks at him as if to go, what the hell? You know, so yeah. But they're all professionals. <laughs> they do it and they all make mistakes with all human. They all make know. mistakes in I've seen jobs, Pink. Yeah. I've seen Pink play a few times and she stuffed her words up all the time. And she'll just laugh it off until she remembers where she is. So, the, no, the, good on them. Oh, look, there's, there's young Shawn Mendes, the Canadian singer-songwriter. Oh, yeah. yep. um, there's heaps of videos. You can look them up on YouTube. There's heaps of videos. Shawn Mendes stuffs the lyrics up. Constantly stuffs the lyrics up to his own songs to the point where he does get the audience to sing back to him just so he can find his place. Yeah. So. Um, speaking of um, Kiss, I never knew this, but Brian Adams wrote a Kiss song called War Machine. Yes, which was on the Creatures of the Night album. Well, Brian started out as a songwriter with his um, partner, songwriting partner, Jim Valance, and it was always Brian Adams, or Muirds of Music and Lyrics, um, Brian Adams, Jim Valance on all those records. I don't know if he still works with him now. I mean, I, I don't, can't say I follow Brian Adams' career so much. No, me either. Yeah, and that was, that was kind of a, a Gene Simmons theme song at the time, was you mm. War Machine. Uh, I don't think they do it so much now, but look, Kiss employing outside songwriters at the time because it was they were always quite big on their own songwriting. That was sort of one of the things is they wrote their own songs, like the yeah, Beatles. Yeah. The, Absolutely. The yeah, the wrote, you know, wrote self-contained band, wrote their own songs, played their own <sighs> instruments, sang their songs. That's that was KISS followed that template. That's what they wanted yeah. to do. So when they started getting outside songwriters. You know, it, you just sort of tell that they're at that probably, they were probably at that point in their career where they were like, I think Creatures of the Night came out in 82. They just brought out The Elder, which was a massive flop. Uh, they were probably looking for that, well, once the, once things like that happen, bands start to second guess. Mm-hmm. What did we do wrong? Did we do something wrong? Uh, where we go? Here's the songs I brought for this record. The producer probably sits and goes, oh, well, I've got this song do you like this? And they probably went, yeah, we do like that. We, we, we can record that. You mm. know, the outside song. I mean, John Bon Jovi, they used Desmond Child to make, yep. um, to write um, You Give Love a Bad Name and, and Living on a Prayer. 
because they were looking for that hit. They were looking for that next thing to take them to the next level. Uh, Desmond Child did co-write I Was Made for Loving You. So it wasn't first time they had used that, but sometimes bands do. Aerosmith did it almost as soon as they got a hit with one of the songs with an outside songwriter. They kind of went, ah, we'll Mm. do this. We'll bring in outside songwriters to um, beef up the songs and make them more hit friendly because remember when i went and saw aerosmith in concert thinking god they've got a lot of hits <laughs> you know <laughs> you realize gosh aerosmith they're not even playing album they, they played one or two album tracks in the early albums but apart from that it was hit after hit after hit yeah, after yeah. hit after Fair hit enough. you know so yeah. yeah um let's jump on the cool thing before we finish the episode oh, but um we, we got the cool thing already we are the cool thing the five minutes left man Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. You do first. You go first. Okay. So point? my cool thing is, and you spoke about him before his podcast, Justin Hawkins from the darkness. Yeah. I've been listening to his album again, uh, the darkness, the permission to land. And when I first heard it originally, I didn't really like it. It wasn't my cup of tea, but I started listening no. to it correctly. I started giving it a bit of a chance and I realized what he was doing with this band. And I love this album. It's the lyrics are really funny. I have no yep. idea how he can yep. sing some of those words, which are such an easy word to pronounce, but he sings them in such a way that you don't understand what he's singing until you read the lyrics. But yes. um, <laughs> honestly, what a great band, what a great singer and a musician himself, guitar player as well. And Permission to Land is such a really good album. So have a listen to that when you can. That's my cool thing for the week. Okay. And yours. I, well, I'm just going to go back, just backtrack just a tiny bit here. When we tried to record this episode and you mentioned that um, in the last couple of days, oh, yeah. I've sat and listened to Permission to Land yeah. and One Way Ticket to Hell and Back. Oh, and yeah. I was one of the, I love Justin Hawkins Rides again. Never gave the band a chance. I heard the Permission to Land when it came out and went, that's nah, not my cup of tea. Nah, I was wrong. I was completely wrong. Oh, really? The darkness yeah. rule. <laughs> it's just two crack I mean, their first two albums and they're just crackers right from the word go one yeah. one song after the other just completely rocks you know and they're yeah. really good and you know like i, I don't know I, can i change it to to agree with you i'm going to use my cool thing to agree with you about <laughs> the darkness because permission to land and one way ticket to hell and back and i'm going to listen to the rest of their records because there's another one called easter is cancelled which i'm <laughs> gonna listen to that but when you said to me, Love on the Rocks with No Ice, what a great one. There was one yeah. song about Make It Out, the song Make It Out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just everything and, about it. You know, everything about it. There's a real humor to them, but they Absolutely. deliver it with such, they're, they're great musos. Those songs kick. They're only mm. about two and a half to three minutes long. So nothing outstays its welcome in any way. They punch in, punch out. The darkness know what they're doing. And yes, look, Chris, you, you know, we both have gone on this journey and I'm concurring with you. Yes, we're in sync. Cool thing. The darkness. The darkness. Cool. Check them out. That's it. Check them out. I'm going to, go, I'm going to listen to some, some more darkness. Yeah, That's it for today, actually. So um, oh, leave me on that note. Oh, well, it's a good note to leave on. I like that. Because darkness And we got happy. through without any edits. No child oh, walking in. <laughs> and no lag. Or technical difficulties. No lag. Oh, how good. So, yeah. No tech problems. So, yeah, thank well, you for watching. For... Subscribe, I'm like, below, tell your friends, tell your enemies. And um, yeah, we'll tell see your you enemies, again especially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see you again soon. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.